0: Hello, y'all. Okay, it is Tiffany Castleberry and this is Unchained Life. I do this podcast to be able to help people just like I did with my book and my blogs um, because people don't want to talk about things that need to be talked about. Some people are too uncomfortable. Some people don't want to share their story. Um, I get it 100%. However, I have decided that I don't care if I'm uncomfortable, I don't care if it's awkward, um, and by the views on my blog, it's the uncomfortable topics that seem to get everybody's attention. So, um, with that being said, today's podcast is about abuse and pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, not a great topic. However, this is by far my number one read blog, which means that there is not a lot of information available even now. And I wrote the blog and I believe 2012, 2013 um, for men or women, but probably more women that are dealing with a pelvic floor dysfunction since some form of sexual abuse trauma. And I just, it's not fun. It's a very raw <laughs> and personal topic. Um, but like I said, people need to know, people need help and people are suffering in silence and don't know who to talk to or what to do. And if I can help, then that's what I'm here to do, you guys. So this is um, this is about when I started my experience in physical therapy. Well, internal manual pelvic floor physical therapy. After being referred from my gynecologist to my urologist. And then the urologist to the physical therapist that specializes in the pelvic floor area. Um, so while I've said this is extremely uncomfortable to go through and to discuss, I am determined to help other people, um, as a sexual abuse victim, um, going through pelvic floor trigger point therapy. Why the name always has to be so long is ridiculous. But nonetheless, it's invasive. It's uncomfortable. And it can be traumatic. Um, And I say this because anybody that has been sexually abused, raped, molested, sexually assaulted, violated in any traumatic way, and has to go through this, they need to know what they're walking into. Because nobody tells you and I feel like this is something that I could have used a heads up on so my raw honesty having another person put their finger inside of me to get me to relax is a paradox from the beginning trying to find a peaceful place to go while she is doing this physical therapy was impossible for me but I have to give Molly credit. Molly was my physical therapist in Colorado. She, does, she did her absolute best to keep me calm, to keep me engaged in a conversation. All I wanted to do was curl up in a ball and cry. I literally laid on the table with tears streaming down the sides of my, my face. I had to work against every defense mechanism that I have to keep from tensing every single muscle and squeezing my legs tighter. Yeah, every action that I wanted to do was not possible while physical therapy was happening. Anything I wanted to do, any natural reaction um, that I had was not possible and she could feel it. She felt it every time that I would tense up. Or, you know, even if I had a flashback or a thought, like she, it, she felt it internally, which was wicked weird, but that was what she was there to do. And as she, you know, was pushing on an internal trigger, you know, and telling me to relax and just let my legs go, I mean, my eyes were closed. My teeth were clenched. My hands were white-knuckled holding on to each other. And I laid I lied there just asking myself, why can't you disassociate during this? I could disassociate during sex because I had trained myself to do so. But I could not disassociate while she was performing this trigger therapy. The worst part for me is controlling... My reactions to my flashbacks. No matter how hard Molly tried to keep me engaged in conversation, I could not go without thinking of one or all the men that had violated me. Replaying the scenario in my head. Regardless of how difficult physical therapy was while I was there, I know I needed to do it to be able to heal. This isn't something that just goes away on its own there wouldn't be a job for this if this was something that you could just do so reality is you know and if i'm wrong by all means comment let me know but reality is people don't grow up or you know go through life asking their friends how do you go to the bathroom i don't my parents didn't tell me this is how you go to the bathroom nobody in my life ever sat down and said, when you sit down on the toilet, you do this with your body to be able to do this. Now, obviously there's potty training, but I mean, what parent does details like that? Like, don't you just tell your child, just sit there, put your potty in that hole, flush it, wipe, go away. Like that's, I mean, maybe my parents didn't do it right, (laughs) but you know, you don't ask your your friends or your I didn't ask my friends or my parents but you know do you push to get all the urine out do you have to go five minutes later because you didn't actually empty your bladder but you don't know that do you feel like you need to go and then sit on the toilet for 20 minutes waiting to go to the bathroom do you ever leak when you laugh or cough and you haven't had children does it hurt when you have sex Like, these were all things that I had questions about, but I didn't talk to anybody about them. These weren't conversations that my girlfriends had. I mean, if they had babies, they talked about the laughing and coughing and leaking and stuff, but that never pertained to me because I didn't have babies. Never had a child. Never gave birth. So, you know, for me, this is not a a, a normal part of conversations between friends. So how would I know I didn't use the restroom like everybody else or the intercourse shouldn't hurt? I mean, talk about an uncomfortable conversation with your husband. If this is your past, it's not easy. And I've never gone through labor given birth. Like I said, and you know, a doctor never told me that this was going to happen with, you know, my bladder because I'd never had kids. So, since I was clearly unaware for, oh, 30-plus years, I feel that I now have an obligation to tell others, granted, these issues are not only affecting sexual abuse victims, but those are the victims that I identify with. Those are the survivors that I identify with. So, when I got fed up, Waiting to go to the bathroom or having to go to the bathroom and then having to go again. I made an appointment with a doctor. My gynecologist, because it's that particular area and that made sense to me. um, And I knew it probably had something to do with my sexual abuse. But my gynecologist referred me to urology to have multiple extremely uncomfortable tests run to determine the problem and let me make this clear just from the get-go i'm not expressing how uncomfortable i was to keep anybody from doing this i truly believe everybody deserves to know what they're walking into and you know one of the tests that i had from the urologist was i was sitting on this weird chair that had my nether regions available (laughs) if you will. So it was just my cheeks that were sitting on something. Um, and they were filling me with water. They were filling my bladder to see, you know, how I react. And, um, you know, if I felt like I needed to go to the bathroom, they could tell if my bladder was full and they kept asking me, do you feel like you need to go to the bathroom? And, um, it was, rather uncomfortable because I literally had somebody between my legs the entire time. It was a female nurse because I couldn't have handled it otherwise. The urologist is over there just, you know, pushing buttons and reading the um, computer screen and continually asking me, well, do you need to pee now? Do you need to pee now? How do you feel now? Um, And for me, for my body, I didn't, I don't feel the pressure normally that people do. Like, I, I feel occasionally that I have to go to the bathroom, but it's not like apparently like normal people. Um, but the problem is, is, is I feel that way once I'm close to, um, trying to think of the best way to say this, that I'm already full. Like it's already, (laughs) it's too late. I should have gone to the bathroom like, you know, 30 minutes earlier. Um, so, you know, we go through this process and my urologist says that, I don't think this is, this is what I can't do anything about this. Um, so we're going to send you to somebody else. (laughs) It's always good. Now I've been referred twice, right? Um, so again, surprises are never good. I had no idea what to expect. I was never given a heads up on, what this next referral really was about. Just that I was going to a pelvic floor physical therapist. I'm sure I probably could have done a little bit of research and had some kind of an idea. But to be honest with you, there's not a lot of research out there. And especially if it's not geared towards sexual abuse survivors, it's more geared towards women who have had babies. Um, so my urologist got results from the test sent me to Molly. Like any normal person, you know, would think I'm thinking, you know, physical therapist. They're going to move my arms. They're going to move my legs. Tell me to do this stretch. Tell me to do that stretch. This kind of exercise, that kind of exercise. Um, no, you guys, no. (laughs) I answered a few questions in the room with her. She told me to strip down from the waist down, put this gown on, lie on the table. I'll be right back. And from that point on, she has internal physical therapy. That's what she did. And the first few visits, I mean, well, the first visit was just a complete and utter shock. So while I tried not to have any reaction because I don't want her to feel uncomfortable because it's not her fault, you know, I—you know not that that's, I shouldn't be worried about somebody else's. Concerns. You shouldn't be worried about somebody else's feelings or concerns when you're in a situation like that. You react the way you feel you have to react. And I needed to cry. And I let tears just run down my cheeks. And when it was all done, I would go back to my car and then I would sob. Like, full-on sob. Um, nevertheless, you know, my random pain and my urination wasn't improving was just so I'm clear because I kind of hesitated there was improving i was noticing a difference so i had to keep going no matter how much i hated it like the drive down there it took me you know about 40 minutes or so and it was it was not an easy drive because i knew what was coming but i had to i had to focus on what it was doing for me i learned to relax my entire body inside and out from head to toe how to feel, quote unquote, certain areas that I never wanted to be in touch with in the first place. Um I noticed when my body was tensing up just sitting at work and I was able to relax. So I knew there was a purpose for this therapy and I couldn't just quit because it was difficult. I mean I could but it defeated the purpose, right? I wanted these things to change. I wanted to be able to go to the bathroom and um, empty my bladder in one take and not have to go back, you know, five minutes later, 10 minutes later. So I did. And it continued and it went well. It, none of the appointments went well. I liked Molly and she did her absolute best. And I'm telling you, like, she tried really hard. I'm sure she does it with every single person that she, you know, has as a client. But for me, I just felt like as a survivor of sexual abuse and trauma that she did everything she possibly could to help me feel comfortable. It's just not an easy task. <laughs> and um, so I went to her as long as I could until um, I got out of the Air Force and I was back in Texas. And I just, in all honesty, I haven't found another physical therapist that does internal pelvic floor trigger work doesn't mean that they're not out there I haven't looked that hard if I'm going to be honest with you but I've noticed over the last year maybe over the last two years that I'm starting to have those issues again and it doesn't matter how much I try to relax it doesn't matter how much I try to do um some of the things that she taught me that I could do which is not what she can do um but it's those things come back, I guess, naturally. And they're, you know, I've been doing it, these defense mechanisms and these internal reactions for so many years, I mean, decades at this point, that, you know, if I don't continue to do my work, my healing, that, you know, it, it comes back. And I tell you guys that because I want you to know that, um, one you know, my life isn't perfect and I go through this just like you guys do and it's uncomfortable for me and I'm not always going to do what I'm supposed to do and I can provide a million reasons and excuses why, (laughs) but it doesn't make it better. But I tell you guys where my experience is because nobody's talking about this. Do I want to talk about this? Do I want people to know that I have to have pelvic floor trigger therapy? No. Do I want people to know why? No. No. But do I want the people out there that have gone through what I've gone through in any way, shape, or form to know they're not alone? Yes. That is why I do what I do. That is why I wrote my book. That's why I write the blogs. That's why I started this podcast. Because I want to be able to help people. And that means that I have to be uncomfortable and share with you guys things that most people think I'm absolutely insane for sharing. And I get it, 100%. Not everybody wants to know what I'm sharing. Um, That's why I always try to provide some kind of warning so that people know beforehand. Um, But there's people out there that they don't have anybody to talk to. They don't have anybody that can understand them. So if I can help those people, then that's that's ultimately what matters for me. Um, Now, I don't want to just give my my perspective, I want you guys to also, you know, have some, um, some research that goes into some of this. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of research when it comes to this kind of stuff. So it's going to be a little bit hit and miss and, and old. Uh, when I say old, I mean like, you know, 2008, 2005, stuff like that, because like I said, people, this isn't a focal point. It's usually the whole, it's usually, you know, this many people are sexually abused this many people, you know, are female. This many people are male. And that's where the focal point is. They don't dig down into what does, what happens to the body when these things happen. And what kind of research can we do on those? What, how can we help people when it comes to that stuff? So, um, the sad thing is, is it's still, you know, a lot of people that are being sexually abused in one way, shape, or form every single year. Men and women, please do not think that this is only a female issue. It happens to men. And we can't just disregard because, well, they're men and they like sex. Or, well, you can't really rape a man. and you can't. Yes, you can. And I hate that any man ever has to feel like, they don't matter or they need to just get over it and suck it up buttercup because people treat them differently when it comes to these situations than they do a female. It's not right, you know, and it's the same thing as when, you know, a female gets treated differently in a man's world of whatever it may be. It's just, it's not fair either way. So understanding that um, it's just... It's bad on both sides, and while it happens more to females, it still happens to males, and they they can't be ignored. Um, their pain and their resilience from it is just as important. So I'm gonna just just share, you know, some stuff that, like I said, is old, but um, but it gives you an idea, and you can guarantee that since it's you know a, a decade or more later, these numbers have only gone up, um, and I know they have because I've done a recent. Blog on where the current numbers are, but I don't have that in front of me, so I can't um, recite those numbers right off the top of my head, which I should have done better research, huh? I should have been prepared, gosh, I'm so sorry, you guys um but here's the deal so in a review from Kellogg and the Committee on Child Abuse and Neglect in 2005, like I said, these are going to be old, It has suggested that each year approximately 1% of children experience some form of sexual abuse, resulting in the sexual victim of victimization of 12 to 25% of girls and 8 to 10% of boys by 18 years of age. It's a lot. It's a lot, people. Um, a national televo- telephone uh, survey was conducted in the United States that indicated 1 in 59 U.S. adults, 2.7 million women, it's more than that, um, and over a million men experienced unwanted sexual activity in the 12 months preceding the survey, and that 1 in 15 U.S. adults, which is over um, 11 million women and over 2 million men, have been forced to have sex during their lifetime. So I'm going, to read, I'm going to read that again. Even though these are old numbers, I need you guys to understand over, it's really, considering the amount of time that's gone by since this was done, probably over 12 million women and over 3 million men have been forced to have sex during their lifetime. So while those numbers are different, and it obviously happens a lot more to women, that is not a small number of men that have been violated in their lifetime. Okay. The pelvic floor controls isolated and integrated functions, sustains proper anatomic relationships between the pelvic visceral organs and its outlets and shares the basic me- mechanism with various visceral organs that control their function. I know I'm losing some of y'all and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to explain this. I just want to say it this way so that you guys um, know that this is coming from not just my brain. This is actual research that I've done. So the pelvic floor is the binding element between those organs, right? And it's considered to be an influential factor in dysfunction and subsequently behavior of the genital system in both men and women. So this isn't just a oh this is only about women thing. No, um, it's this is something that affects everyone. And this is uh, there's a reason that I wrote a blog on it. There's a reason it's the number one blog that people search. It's a, it, there's a reason. Because people aren't talking about it. and apparently I'm the only crazy person that's willing to. So, um, it's just, it's one of those things where it's happening way more than it needs to. And because the sexual abuse is happening across the board more often than people realize, so sadly, that means that there's a lot of people that are having pelvic floor disorders. And they don't know, because like I said, who seriously has conversations with their friends or even their parents about how to pee? Well, you know, when you do that, do you, do you push? Do you, you know, do you sit there for a long time? Like nobody, you don't discuss those things, right? So, um, it's just, it's, it needs to be discussed and, it's important to note that studies like this do not distinguish between abuses and dysfunctions um, they're not specific they look at generalities instead of breaking things down and providing more details for example you know women are forced to you know in to oral sex and they're also forced into intercourse but you may have very different sexual problems because of what you were forced into, right? So all sexual abuse is not the same. Um, and the importance of discussing abuse before performing any kind of exam with a doctor is important, right? Because the doctor needs to know. I can tell you personally, oh my gosh, um, there was an unfortunate event when, or situation, I guess, I needed to make a gynecological uh appointment. This is when I was in the Air Force, and I called to make an appointment. They told me the doctor's name, and I said, oh, hold on. Uh, I need a female. Well, no females are available for X amount of time. Like, not like that day. Like, we're talking weeks, I believe, if I remember correctly, and I, if I needed to have the appointment and, you know, the military mandates when you get certain things done and if you, you know, lapse and you're late on things, then you get in trouble. So I had to get this appointment done. And the only option I had was a male, um, doctor. Well, I didn't disclose everything, mainly because I was extremely uncomfortable by the time I walked in that, that room. And, um, needless to say, you know, he was trying to do his job and he was doing it professionally. It wasn't like he had done anything that was inappropriate or, you know, wrong. Um, and I unfortunately had a reaction because of a flashback while I was laying on the table and freaked that poor kid out. And I say kid, cause I know he was younger than me. He was probably pretty new to the military. Um, so it's extremely important that you have a discussion before, you know, any exam, I would say. If your clothes are coming off, if it's going to be invasive of some sort to you, if, you know, you're going to be uncomfortable, you've got to let that person know. Male or female, you should let them know because there is a chance that you are you could have a flashback and have a reaction that you didn't count on, and they need to understand where that's coming from. Um. Because the reality is, is we have to get comfortable doing that. Otherwise, we're going to get to a point as survivors that we do not make those appointments because we are so uncomfortable. Well, the problem with not having those appointments, obviously, is we are not being taken care of, right? You know, it's, (laughs) we're more likely to miss a cancer screening. We're more likely to miss lymph nodes that need to be addressed or, you know, any of these things, cysts that are not found um, because we feel like we are going to be re-traumatized by going and having this appointment. And to minimize that, we have to become comfortable at being uncomfortable with the doctor that's going to be that person. And I say that because I want us as survivors to be taken care of. I want us to have the checkups that we need to have, but I want us to have as much comfort in these appointments as possible. And this goes for doctors too. You guys have got to be, I say that like anybody's listening, but you know, you guys have got to be understanding to the fact that. It is a big deal for sexual abuse survivors to come in and have any of these appointments. It's huge. It, I mean, it really is. And you need to be patient and understanding and compassionate when you're dealing with these people. Um, so I'm going to go into a little bit more of some, some, uh, some scientific stuff that's not... The reason, And the reason why is because I think it's important that people understand their body. This is one of the things that I've learned going through all of this. Um, so there's a report that uh, patients with a history of sexual abuse have significantly more disturbed anorectal motility. And I'm going to describe all of this or, you know, define it for you in a moment. Um And an increased resting pressure at the lower part of the anal canal compared to non-abused patients with anismus. I don't think I said that right. But um, now to make sure that you guys understand, right? Because I didn't understand it the first time that I was reading all this. Anorectal motility studies are tests used to measure how well the muscles and nerves in the rectum and anus are working. The increased resting pressure part is saying some of us hold that area tighter than others. Hence, my physical therapist telling me I am literally a tight ass because of the guy that sodomized me. In addition, she told me that I was never allowed to do another Kegel in my life because I was too tight from my defense of naturally holding that area tighter. So for me, it was front and back because I had been violated more than once. Um, and she tried to say it in a funny way, like calling me a tight ass because she wanted me to laugh and tried to make me feel really comfortable. Um, so, you know, if you notice these things about yourself and you've never realized that this is not normal per se, which I mean, normal nowadays, whatever, but, um, these 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 could be reasons, right? Like, if you were sexually abused, if you were raped, if you were sodomized, whatever the case may be, these affect your body parts. Your body does not forget, okay? Um, your body has memories that you may not have because of trauma. And this is the reason that I share these things. Um, pelvic floor muscle contraction involves contraction of all of those muscle groups, right? We conclude that sexual abuse survivors may have a dysfunction of the aforementioned muscles. So your, um, your pelvic floor, uh, your anal rectal areas. Um, and so there's a rise in urological complaints, gastrointestinal complaints and sexual dysfunction. Um, perhaps pelvic floor hypertonus may be related to state or trait anxiety developed as a holding pattern or a defense mechanism. So um, like, you know, I was just saying, you know, I I squeeze those areas because of what has happened to me and it's become natural that I don't even really notice it. Uh, And so those are states that you become anxious in and it's, you know, a defense mechanism that your body's created as a... Protection that we have to now reverse, if you will. And, you know, the other thing is, is a lot of people don't talk about the uncomforts, the, well, I mean, let's be honest, the reality of sexual intercourse. It's not comfortable for... It's not comfortable for a lot of women in general. But sexually abused women are on a different level. Um, and that comes from the tightening of those particular muscle groups. But nobody talks about it, right? Like they think, oh, well, you're just not, you're not relaxed enough. You need to, to loosen up and relax for him to do that. Um, you need to use more lube. You're not, you know... You're not lubricating enough yourself, you know, inside your body. Whatever the case may be, but that's not the truth, right? Don't, don't sit there and just assume it's well. You're not doing something right. No, nope. look at your past. What's happened to you? Were you ever violated? Were you in a traumatic situation? Were you raped? You know, like that is going to play into the sex side of things. And that's why ideally you need to be honest with your partner. They need to know so that, you know, they don't force anything beyond your comfort level. And you can you deserve to enjoy it. Especially. I mean, everybody deserves to enjoy it, but especially a sexual abuse survivor needs to learn that they are allowed and can enjoy it. It just, there's a lot of communication that has to go on. There's a lot of internal knowledge of your own body that you have to start getting used to. And yeah, it's uncomfortable, and it's not always enjoyable, but I've been there, and I've had to go through this stuff, and I get it. I get it. Because one of the worst things about being abused is feeling alone. It's such a, a horrible personal invasion of your body. No one wants to relive it, but we need help. And we have to go to others sometimes to be able to get that help and that healing for ourselves. And it's truly sad that you could stick 20 people in a room and every one of them is connected to sexual abuse, either because a friend, was exper- a friend experienced it or they personally had it happen to them. What's more regrettable is people may not know how close it comes to their life because people are so ashamed and embarrassed to discuss it. So this is why I'm putting my business out there. Because I don't... It, this isn't about, oh, I think it's cool, or I love oversharing, or I need everybody to know very intimate details about my life. God help me. No, that's not... <laughs> you guys, that's, if you know me, which you know you may not, but that's not me. It embarrasses me. This is uncomfortable. To share this personal information, this very extremely personal information, this is not enjoyable, but I'm dedicated to helping those suffering in silence, and that means I have to step out of my comfort zone and share my story. So I'm here to help in any way that I can, and I ask that you guys help me help others by spreading the word. Whether it's, you know, just talking to somebody, whether it's sharing my blog, where, whether it's sharing my podcast, whether it's reaching out to me or, you know, telling a friend that you know is going through some difficult stuff to reach out to me, then that's what I ask. Sexual abuse is devastating and it goes far beyond the moment it occurred. And people don't realize that because it's not a physical outward scar sometimes it can be, right? But these are internal. These are internal, and this is why so many people don't talk about it. But I'm here to share my story and get very uncomfortable because I want you to know you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not the only person that's experienced this. You are not the only person that is dealing with this, and you deserve to be happy. So, I don't want to make this go too long. Um, this may be one of my longest ones unless I do a podcast like with somebody and we're having an actual conversation. But if, when you're just listening to my voice, <laughs> I don't want this to go too long. So reach out to me. Um, you can go to my website, which is www.officialtiffanycastleberry.com. You can go to my blog for just such a time as this dot wordpress.com or you can email me at t d castleberry so like tiffany dawn castleberry td castleberry c-a-s-t-l-e-b-e-r-r-y at gmail.com you can reach me i'm here i want to help people i want to you know be able to reach those who are suffering in silence that's why i do speaking engagements that's why i wrote my book That's why I'm still finding new ways to reach out and and help people in in any way possible. So you guys have a great day. understand that you probably came by this on purpose or maybe by accident, but there was a reason for it. I hope you got something out of it or you know somebody that will. You guys have a great day. Be blessed.